May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, that your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for your rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Lord, I'm so thankful and grateful that you are an all-powerful, almighty God, but you're full of grace and mercy too. Lord, you are to to be feared because you are all-powerful, but you are a personal God that we can come with all of our weaknesses, with all of our shortcomings, and I'm so grateful for that because I have many. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word, may you be glorified in you alone. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen. If you would say this purpose with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. And we're going to jump right into the scripture here this morning in Mark chapter 11. As I go through these uh, verses, you'll notice that verse 26 is not there. Most of the early manuscripts don't have verse 26, so we don't uh, include it in our readings. So this is Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany... Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out, Uh, of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered what Jesus said. Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but leaves uh, that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This morning, we're looking at anger. And the point for this morning is that Jesus gets anger right. I think it's very hard to for people to really think of Jesus as someone that gets angry. Because I think when, especially in our country, we think of Jesus as being really meek 
and mild. We think of him being some kind of wild combination of, of these three people, uh, like Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross and Santa Claus, some kind of weird combination of that's how he looked. And then we imagine that Jesus looks like this. He looks like a, a younger Jimmy Buffett. And so we have a hard, uh, we have a hard problem. We have a problem in our, in our lives. We have a hard time thinking of Jesus being angry. But we see from the scripture that Jesus gets anger right. See, it's not always a bad thing to be angry. See, there's sinful anger and there's righteous anger, and Jesus got anger right. Now, do you guys know what this is right here? You guys know what this is? Yeah, it's, you know what this is for me sometimes? This is a tool of anger. And sometimes when I'm just feeling a little frustrated, I know, I know you guys all think that being a pastor must be the greatest job in the world, right? I mean, you just get to have, hang out with people and tell people about Jesus. But believe it or not, there are days where I get frustrated. And sometimes when I get frustrated, I just go outside out here in the back porch and just start whacking some balls as hard as I can just to get out a little anger. And one day I did that, and one of the balls kind of got away from me and went flying over the BP station. So if any of your cars ever got hit by the golf ball, sorry about that. That was just me letting out some anger in my life. You see... We, we live in an angry world, and we can be angry, too. We can all struggle with anger. I see angry people all the time. If you own a car, you see angry people, right? You own a car, sometimes you see yourself being angry. We need to make sure that we get anger right. And this morning, we're taking some time to, to look how Jesus gets angered right and how we can get anger right, too, and this is such an important thing to do, and it's a really hard thing to work on anger, to tame our anger, to get it in the right place. But here's some reasons why we, might, why we might look at this and why it might be important to spend some time in prayer about this. Some, some reasons that people have given about looking at their anger is, I heard anger just about every day of my life growing up, and I don't want to pass on that anger. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you grew up in a really angry home and you don't want to pass that on. Sometimes my angry words have gotten me in trouble. Has that ever happened to you? That you say something in the moment, you're, you're frustrated, you're upset, the anger gets you in trouble. Sometimes my anger, uh, my angry reactions scare me as if I'm losing my sanity and I don't want to feel that anymore. Maybe you feel that sometimes, that you're out of control and you want to get control over that. Maybe you've had a friend tell you that you're angry and maybe you don't see it, but you respect that friend enough to, to address it. And maybe you discipline your children in anger. Maybe you see yourself losing control there and, and although you discipline in anger and that works, you don't want your kids to be scared of you. Uh, maybe you've lost some relationships because of your emotions, because of your anger. Or maybe there's things that happened to you in your life many years ago and you still find yourself angry over it. That's why I believe this message is so important this morning, because I believe that all of us can relate to one or many of those reasons, and so it's a great opportunity for us to look at God's word and see what God's word says about anger. In Proverbs, there's a couple of Proverbs of verse in 14 and 16 of Proverbs that I just wanted you to, to look at real quick. It says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And in Proverbs 16, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. 
See, sometimes it's even more difficult to control our anger than to take a city, than to be a warrior. And so we're going to look at this morning and see that anger in itself is not a sin. Misplaced anger is sinful. But there is righteous anger too. And Jesus does a great place of showing us how to put anger in the right place. I know some of you are thinking, well, this is just the way that I am. I'm I'm just hot-headed. This is the way that, that God made me. Well, God made us in his image. He made us with emotions, but sin in our life has messed up those emotions in a way that that doesn't glorify him. And so uh, we're going to look and see as we look at these scriptures on how we can put anger in the right place. In Ephesians uh, 4, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. That word foothold in the original Greek language is the word topos. And what it actually means is is a room, is a place in your life. So we don't want to give anger a place in our life that's full of sin because when we do that, we give the devil, we give the evil one a place in our life. And so it's so vital that we get this, that we understand that. And sinful anger is really difficult to fight, isn't it? I mean, I have an unbelievably selfless wife. Christy is so dedicated to our family. She's so dedicated to our kids. She hardly ever takes time for herself. I always have to encourage her, just go take some time with the girls. Just go, go out and enjoy yourself. Go, just go to Starbucks and just be by yourself. And she very rarely does that, but one night she did do it. She was gone for four or five hours. I can't even remember what she was doing, but I was with the kids. And of course, when dad's in charge... You know, we're going to have some fun. So my kids love going to Ichiban Buffet. Uh, don't tell my wife I brought, her, brought them there. And so they go to Ichiban Buffet. They're having a good time. We go get ice cream afterward. I had to run a couple errands. We go to, go to Walmart, go all these places. The kids are out of the house for four or five hours. We get home and uh, get a couple of the kids in the bath. My daughter wants to do a craft, and she needs help with that. And the kids are now starting to lose uh, control in the bath because they've been out of the house for so long. And, and the kids are, are fighting each other in the bath. And my daughter is like, Dad, help me fix the craft. Help me fix the craft. And I leave the, the bathroom for a second, go out into the living to help my daughter. And she's like, will you help me fix it? And I go like this. I'll fix your craft. Not cool. You see... My, my kids were just being awesome kids, and I lose control for a minute and slam my hand down and raise my voice at my daughter, who was doing nothing wrong. You see, when we get anger in the wrong place, there are consequences, and I'll talk about that a little bit more, what happened afterward, but... I find it hard to fight that sinful anger sometimes. I also find it even more difficult to fight the anger when I think that I am right. When I see someone that's done something wrong to me or, or, or to my family. And some ways that you might feel like anger is, is, is right and I need to feel this anger. But it's still actually a sin is when there's a relationship conflict that keeps coming up over and over again. That there's a personal weakness in our life that we can't get over and so we get frustrated with that. When we feel trapped in a painful or dead end situation, we might get angry. When we're seeking God's guidance and we feel like he's, he's silent, he's not giving us guidance. We might, we might feel angry, and, and these are some ways that, that we might feel upset, but it's still anger uh, that is, is, is sinful. It's still anger that is not righteous, and 
There is a righteous anger that we can have, though, too. And that's what happened here in that story. And we'll break it down in a few minutes, verse by verse. But Jesus had righteous anger. He saw that his temple was, was being defamed. He saw his temple was being used as a den of robbers. And so he had righteous anger. And it reminded me of this video clip that I'm going to show you from the movie 42, where Branch Rickey is an executive uh, in, in uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, he is going to break the color barrier with Jackie Robinson. And one of the other executives says, Branch, if you have uh, Jackie Robinson play because of the color of his skin, we're not going to play you. And here's his reaction to what happened. Branch, it's Herb. Hello, Herb. What can I do for you? Branch, how long have we known each other? Oh, 20 years, maybe more. Now, I'm afraid that we're not going to be able to take the field against your team if that boy's in uniform. Why is that, Herb? His name is Jackie Robinson, by the way. Yeah, Branch, I understand he's got a name, but we're just not ready for that sort of thing here in Philadelphia. Well, what you do with your team is your decision, Herb. But my team's going to be in Philadelphia tomorrow with Robinson. And if we have to claim the game as a forfeit, so be it. That's nine to zero. In case you forgot. You know what, Branch, you've had a hell of a hair across your ass over this for a long time, and I'd like to know what it is you think you're trying to prove. You think God likes baseball, Herb? What, what the hell is that supposed to mean? It means someday you're going to meet God, and when he inquires as why you didn't take the field against Robinson in Philadelphia, and you answer that it's because he was a Negro, it may not be a sufficient reply. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Now, some of you are going to send me an email because the language is a little strong in there, and you're more upset about that than the actual injustice that was happening at the time. There was an injustice that was happening. There was racism that was happening on the baseball field, and Branch Rickey said that he was going to stand up for righteousness. And because of that, he had a righteous anger. He desperately wanted to see it changed. Christy and I were flipping through the stations um, couple nights ago, and we landed on the Emmys. And Christy was going to flip by, and I told her to stay there. And she's like, why do you want to stay and watch this? I said, I just want to see what our world is into. We watched, I'm not joking, for four minutes. The award was for uh, best reality series. And there were shows on there like The Amazing Race and American Ninja Warrior, shows that I really like. And the show that won was RuPaul's Drag Race. And this is not about race car racing. Um, and RuPaul got up on stage and RuPaul said, I'm so thankful and grateful to win this award, but I'm even more grateful that I was able to unleash 140 drag queens into the world. And I could just feel something just welling up inside, just feeling heartbreak and, and feeling a little anger about here is where our world has gone. And then the next award that gets awarded, I can't remember what it's for, and they break to a clip of two men making out. And I just feel it, that heartbreak, that hurt, that anger welling up inside me, that righteous anger that I want our world to fall more in love with Jesus and not run away from him. I feel like we're, we're living in a time where, where we desperately need revival in our world and people to come running back to Jesus. See, that's, that's righteous anger. 
I see righteous anger all the time with, with moms, right? I mean, this is the scariest kind of righteous anger, right, everyone? When mama bear is protecting her cubs and something goes wrong, I would put those moms up against anyone. The strongest, craziest marine in the world versus an angry mom, I'm choosing the mom there. That's, that's righteous anger. You see, Jesus is the lamb of God, and he is the lion of Judah. You see that he's both. He, he's both gentle and loving and caring and gracious and merciful, but he is also a lion, and we shouldn't forget that. My grandma, Herco, I get to see this uh, week. I haven't seen her in, in many years, and she, she told me once, she said, Andy, don't mistake in my Christianity for weakness. And I love that, is that just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we can't stand up for truth. We need to make sure we get anger right. And so we've been walking through the book of Mark, and we've been getting to know Jesus a lot better as we've been going through 11 chapters of Mark week after week. And uh, he le- we left off last week as he was welcomed as a king into Jerusalem, and then he went out to Bethany, and now he heads back into Jerusalem. And Bethany was only two miles away from Jerusalem, and he just spent the night with his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so here is this verse by verse, a couple verses at a time. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now this is a really interesting uh, start of this, of this passage because it's a representative of the chief priests. It's a representative of where Israel is. What Mark is using here is called the sandwich narrative of scripture. Because these first two verses, Jesus curses the fruitless fig tree. And then, in a few verses later, as you'll see, Jesus rebukes the faithless chief priests and the scribes. And then he comes back and notices the withered fig tree. That phrase, in leaf, is kind of a strange phrase. We don't use that very often. But what it referred to was the time when the fig trees would, they would bud edible small fruits. And if there were no leaves on there, that meant that the tree uh, was not going to produce fruit that season. And it really was worthless. And that's what Jesus was saying here, is is that this tree is worthless. And as you'll see, the temple was worthless too. It's interesting to say, see here that Jesus was, was hungry, and uh, some scholars have said, well, Jesus got upset because he was hungry and there were no figs on the tree. Listen, he, he had just left Bethany, and they had just eaten breakfast before they went on their journey. Bethany was less than 45-minute walk from Jerusalem. Uh, he was not starving hungry to the point where he would have been mad at the fig tree and wanted to curse it because it had no fruits. Although Jesus is fully God and fully man, he would have experienced hunger. That's not the reason why he did it. He did it to show his disciples and his closest followers how to get anger right. And he used it as the backdrop of a discussion on faith and prayer. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? I mean, can you imagine this scene? 
Jesus comes back to the temple again. And he sees all of this corruption. Ananias, the, the high priest at the time, was working in the background, uh, doing things that were certainly not honoring God. In fact, one of the ways that he would, would, uh, would not honor God is that he would have the money changers there. And the money changers were there because the chief priests and the, and the high officials would only accept money that was coined there right at the temple. And so all these people would come and they would have to exchange their money for money that was minted right there in Israel. And of course, all those money changers were having ridiculous exchange rates. And they would take a huge cut of it. So you can imagine coming to worship God and the first thing that happens to you is you get ripped off. And so Jesus is seeing his temple and seeing all these people trying to make profit, trying to rip off the people, and he gets angry. But it's righteous anger because this temple was supposed to be a place of worship. This temple, when it was destroyed, it was, it was uh, rebuilt by Herod, and re when it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt in this magnificent place that there was gold everywhere, that there was all these different courts and all these different places where people were supposed to come and worship God and all these things originally were supposed to point to God, but all the chief priests and the officials have made it into a den of robbers. They made it into a place where they would profit. They made it into a place where they were basically blaspheming God. And here's Jesus walking in to what's going on here and business is booming and you can just imagine Jesus' reaction. Now, a lot of people may have thought of Jesus as the same ways that people think of him in America as maybe being meek and mild, but he certainly was not meek and mild in this point. But he, he didn't sin. He, he gets anger right. He was righteous. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. I mean, you can just imagine what all the people were reacting like. I mean, here's Jesus overturning tables. Here's Jesus showing them that the temple is made for worship. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of worship. It's a place to gather together in fellowship to be worshiping God. He's overturning the tables. You can imagine that the chief priests and the officials were so upset. In fact, it says they wanted to kill him. A more accurate translation says that they wanted to destroy him. They wanted him to have physical torment. They wanted to take him out. They were very angry, but it wasn't righteous anger. In uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke's version of the story, we see that Jesus stays there and he, and he ministers to people, that he heals people and helps them and teaches them. And it's such an amazing picture of our Savior, that he's a Savior who's all-powerful, who's strong, who has righteous anger, but he's also a God who's close, who knows us personally, who helps us in tough times, who heals us, who we can count on. They head back to Bethany, and then when they come back in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots, and that word withered uh, in the original language actually means good for nothing, that it was done. It was completely paralyzed. It was completely fruitless. And he was pointing his disciples, showing them that that's what the temple was like. Completely fruitless, completely useless. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. 
I tell you the truth. Uh, anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and, and does not doubt in his heart, but, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You see, the temple that he was so upset about where people were worshiping, that temple has changed in, in our world. Now that he's come and that he lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead, do you know where the temple is now? You know where it is? And that, it's, not at, it's not at 573 West Twin Court Trail. That's not where it is. The temple is right here. The temple is you and I. This is where God resides now. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19 and through 22, it, it says that. It says that that's who we are. That says that we're a temple of God. It says that we uh, are, are a people for his glory. It says this in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens, but with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling which, uh, which God lives by his spirit. You see, Jesus gets anger right and we get it wrong because we were created in his image with his emotions and anger is one of the emotions that he gave us. But sin came into this world and affects each and every one of us and that's why we have those blow up moments. That's why we don't get anger right because sin is in each and every one of us. That's why we experience unrighteous anger. Any of the times where you lose control, where you're not having righteous anger, that's called sin and each and every one of us has experienced that. And that's why it's so important that we have a seeking and saving Savior. Luke 19.10 says that, is that, is that he come to seek and to save the lost. And each and every one of us are lost in our sins. Each and every one of us gets anger wrong, and we need Jesus. And so in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 9, it says, what must I do to believe? And all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You want to get anger right? You want to be forgiven of your sins? You want to be able to experience eternal life? You want to be able to have freedom? You want to be able to have joy and hope and peace? The only way that can happen is through Jesus. So confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. If you need help with that after the service, come and see our prayer team or see me after the service. I'd love to help you know the one who gets anger right. And the action step for this week is to let Jesus put your anger in the right place. I mean, Jesus does it, doesn't he? He, he always goes before us. He doesn't ever ask anything of us that he doesn't do first. And the end of the scripture that I read here says this. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you the authority to do this? They were always looking for a way to trap Jesus. Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm, I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? 
If we say for men, they feared the people and everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus dropped the mic. I love that so much. He gets anger right. See, we can get anger right when we let Jesus help us get anger right in our life. You see, righteous anger is being angry at what makes God angry. And righteous anger is the right term because it's not principally being angry. It's principally being righteous. It's when we find our identity in his righteousness, that's the principal emotion. That we want to see his people, his world, his country, his community, his neighborhood come to know his righteousness. And when we see people running away from God, doing things that dishonor his name, then we should be heartbroken and we should have righteous anger. And we should be willing to stand up against evil because when we see evil happening, we should have righteous anger because evil vandalizes what is most valuable. And that's God's goodness. That's God's plan. That's God's sovereignty. And when we see evil happening, it chips away at his goodness. And that should cause righteous anger in our lives. And righteous anger should bear redemptive fruit. It really should. It shouldn't, we shouldn't just be angry for the sake of being angry. It should drive us to action. It should drive us to do something. It should drive us to our knees in prayer. It should drive us to spend time with Jesus. It should drive us to take action in our community. It shouldn't drive us to be weak and, and quiet and meek. We should use that righteous anger for his glory. And we can do that because we follow Jesus. And Jesus gets anger right. He's already showed us how to do it. Maybe many of you are thinking, well, yeah, Pastor Andy, but that's Jesus. But you know what Jesus gives us? He gives us forgiveness and he gives us his spirit to guide us and to work through us. And you know what that spirit bears? It bears the fruits of the spirit. You guys know what the fruits of the spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that fruit in your life. Yes, it can only work supernaturally. It can only work by Jesus working in your life. But you're called to bear that fruit. And when you have that righteous anger in your life, that fruit should come out. So spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him in his word. Spend time with him gathering on a Sunday morning, gathering in small groups. Spend time with Jesus. He'll allow you to put anger in its right place. See, in, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, it says this, chapter 3, verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's you. That's you. Let Jesus put anger in the right place in your life. Because when that happens, he gets glorified more. And when that happens, we're able to experience his goodness more. We're able to go into our community, and when his name is being defamed, we don't just sit there and do nothing. We have righteous anger so that his name is glorified in our world again. And we're going to blow it. 
We're not going to get this right all the time. Sometimes we're going to have unrighteous anger. Sometimes we're going to blow up. Sometimes we're going to slam our hand down and say, I'll fix your craft. But we have an amazing opportunity when we do those things. And that happened with my kids. A few minutes later after I calmed down, I gathered my kids around me and said, you know what? You have a front row seat to all of daddy's mistakes. And I am so sorry. I blew it. I got angry. I shouldn't have got angry. Will you please forgive me? And there's nothing cuter in this world than at the time there were two, five, and ten. All of them sang in unison, Daddy, we forgive you. And getting that hug from them, it was an unbelievably awesome, teachable moment. And so while I wasn't proud that I lost control, I was so thankful that God used that time. And he could do that in your life too, that we're going to mess up. Being a witness for Christ doesn't mean that you try to live your life perfectly. That's actually the thing that turns people off from the church the most. What do you hear all the time? The church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Because we feel like to be a Christian, we have to look morally perfect all the time. Give it up. None of you are succeeding anyway. You're miserable failures at that, so just give it up. When we mess up, we should ask for forgiveness first. That we should go above and beyond to make things right. So that we have an opportunity to point people to Jesus. You see, as Christians... It doesn't mean that we sit back and just say, oh, wow, this world's just going to hell in a handbasket. I just don't know what to do. Listen, we have access to the all-powerful, almighty king. And so I urge you to stand up for what you believe in, to stand firm, to stand on the truth. We have the truth. We know what the truth is. And we should be able to share the truth in love. Branch Ricky saw an injustice in our world, and he wasn't just going to sit back and let people walk over him. He knew he had to take action. And his life was tough. If you know anything about Branch Ricky's life, he was constantly ridiculed for taking that stand. We're not going to be celebrated for standing up for truth very often in this world. But that's why we have each other. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the power of community working in and through us to let Jesus Put your anger in the right place. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful that you're able to use all of my weaknesses, all of my mess-ups, all the ways that I fall short, all the ways that I uh, screw up. I'm so thankful that you are a sovereign God who's able to use all those weaknesses and you're able to, to, to strengthen the situations that, that I'm in so that you get the glory. Lord, I pray for all of us as we struggle with getting anger right that you would help us to do that, that we would have righteous anger for things that are happening in this world and because of that we would want to take action. When we see injustices, we wouldn't just sit back. When we see people defaming your name that we wouldn't say nothing but we would stand up for truth. Lord, help us to do that in love. Help us to do that in a way where you get honored. Help us to do that in a way uh, where we see revival happening in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.